Welcome back to Bruin Success, the UCLA podcast of career stories and helpful strategies from alumni who work in diverse industries around the globe. Every Bruin has unique passions, interests, and experiences that have shaped their life path and career trajectory. This week's interview features Lucy Zhang, a 2012 graduate of UCLA and who is a life and resilient coach working with folks who are experiencing major life changes, particularly athletes of all levels who are transitioning to life after sports. Additionally, she is part of the development team at UCLA that raised $5.49 billion during the UCLA Centennial Campaign and focuses on raising funds for scholarships and student support. Welcome back, Bruins. We're here with another episode of the Bruins Success Podcast. And today I'm meeting with Lucy Sang. Lucy, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, let's jump right in. We would love to hear about your career trajectory, early academics so far. So would you mind walking us through um, you know, your undergrad studies, your involvement on campus, internships, part-time jobs? Sure, I'm happy to, and this will be a test of my memory. So I uh, went to UCLA in 2008. Um, I believe I started undecided, but quickly was looking to become a business economics major. Uh, my first quarter at UCLA, I joined a uh, international business fraternity and have been involved with them ever since, even after graduation. However, through the business fraternity, I realized that business economics, which was mostly management accounting based at UCLA back then, um, was not what I wanted to do for a career. I always loved math, but not what I wanted to do in terms of like sitting at a desk, looking at spreadsheets and things like that. So I'm pretty sure in my second or third quarter, sometime during the first year, um, you know, very classic, like any college student, I switched my major. Um, Long story short, I ended up graduating double major sociology, Asian American studies, and a minor in education studies. Uh, This intention was because I always knew I wanted to become a teacher of some sort. And through my uh, minor as education studies, I did a lot of shadowing um, and realized that classroom teaching wasn't necessarily what I was meant to do. Um, And more so being an advisor of some sort was probably more of a route for me. Mind you, this is 2008 to 2012, some of the hardest economic times in our recent years. And um, just overall, I wasn't sure. And I have, I'm a first gen student and first gen staff now, but um, I didn't have anyone to really tell me what looking for a job slash career was supposed to look like after college. Um, well, to stay in college, some of the involvements I mentioned, the business fraternity, I was also in Unicamp. My camp name is Tater Tots. <laughs> um, I worked as a work study all four years with UCLA Anderson Parker Career Management Center and still have relationships from that experience even to this day, years after graduation. Some of the best mentors I've ever had. Um, and I did work several part-time jobs, lots of internships. I've always been a workaholic. I think I, at some point, had like four jobs at one time and wow. full-time in school. It's just what I do. People who know me now are like, four, that's it? 
Okay. Um, Lots yes. going on there, but it's, it works for you clearly. <laughs> well, it, it worked ish. It's not going to work as I get older and I need more sleep. Um, but yeah, that, that was the gist of college. Actually, I should mention this is totally not academic or career related, but I spent almost four hours a day at the John Wooden Center playing basketball. It was my favorite pastime. Um, obviously, I wasn't playing the whole four, to- four hours, um, you know, busted out the laptop in between games, but I did, you know, get a lot of exercise and really enjoyed and made a lot of great friendships during those um, times. And then I did have the honor of being a resident assistant for two and a half years, almost three years. So that was kind of like my schedule, go to class, go to the gym, and then go duty for uh, resident assistant stuff. <laughs> wow. Wow. Really busy. Lots going on. Um, well, how did, how did all of that influence your career trajectory? Well, as I mentioned, I've always knew that I like to work. Um, I learn best kinesthetically. So I like to do things instead of being told things or just read about things. Um, So I think being super involved really gave me the various experiences to not just learn about what I did want to do or have in my career, but also what I didn't want to do or not have in my career. Yeah, Um, equally as important. Yes, extremely important, extremely important. And so um, I would say, I mean, I'm still in my mid early career and I can't say that I will continue what I'm doing now forever. Um, And I do have a couple of hats that I wear in terms of career. So um, I think so far in terms of the skills that are very needed in my um, day-to-day job and day-to-day kind of work environment, I gained from being able to juggle and manage so many different things um, being on top of a very robust schedule and um, being a strong communicator, I think is extremely important that I learned during my college years so that I could set expectations of my peers and my mentors and my supervisors, um, but also give myself the opportunity to thrive as well. Awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's a great way to use your time. Um, to really get involved and and figure out what worked for you. I think often we're all very motivated by what we like and we want more of what we like, but it really is so important, as you mentioned, to understand what we don't love, what doesn't work for us, what doesn't provide meaning and fulfillment. So uh, I love that you touched on that. Thanks for sharing about that. Well, so, so after school, I mean, you've, you've worked at UCLA Uh, as an event planner, a camp director, charter schools, multiple roles as a coach. There's obviously a very clear education theme here. Yes. Um, Can you sort of walk us through your path to your current role and what you're working on now? Sure. Well, let me start um, with what my current role is. I have multiple roles right now Um, in terms of the job that I love that actually pays my bills is being with UCLA development as a fundraiser for the university. And I'll touch more about this job and why I love it so much um, in a little bit. I also have the privilege of having my own small business as a certified life coach, 
Um, my marketing is more so focused on being a mental performance coach. I work with athlete-minded people in helping them find and pursue passions in life outside of sports so that when the time comes to transition outside of the glory days of sports, they're more prepared than they might be if they weren't thinking ahead of time. Um, and I think education has always been a huge foundation for me, mostly because I was raised by an immigrant mother and my only other sibling was a lot older than me or is a lot older than me. He's nine years older than me. So he um, more so was my father figure. You know, my, my father's still alive and around, but he was traveling a lot for work. So, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a traditional father figure, but my brother, when he left to go to Berkeley, um, at the age of 18, right after high school, I was only eight or nine. And that was kind of like, I want to be like him. Mm. I want to do that, even though I had no idea what college was. And my mom was not prepared to, you know, train me to go to college, but more so like, just do well in school and don't screw up kind of thing. Um, so, but what I did know as I was growing up about education was that education was going to provide opportunity, opportunity yeah. that my family did not know about or did not know existed. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, my brother and I talk about that because um, even though we are of the same generation, technically, our experiences were very different. He was the first in our family to do anything. And even though I was not the first, it felt like I was the first because what our experiences were was totally different. You know, his SATs was only 1600. Mine was 24. You know, the competition when he was going to school, I mean, I'm not going to say is lower, but just wasn't as significant as competition when I was applying versus competition now. Right. And, and money was very different, right? Like when he was going to school in 2000, I think it was only a couple thousand dollars a, a year. Whereas my four years at UCLA was the largest change in tuition for the UC system in a span of four years. And wow. we were not prepared for that at all. Mm -hmm. So, but again, I think education and the value of building that foundation to have greater opportunity is what um, has led me to pursue all that I have, but also want to excel in the multiple roles that I kind of wear now as a fundraiser in helping people fulfill their philanthropic dreams, um, but also as a life and mental performance coach in helping athlete-minded people kind of pursue their calling outside of being an athlete. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for unpacking that a little bit. That's interesting to hear how much um, first I'd say how, how different your experience was from your older brother, but right. also how much that, that first generation status, um, really played a part in, in your experience and sort of shaping where you are today. So thanks for totally. sharing that with us. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it again and, and some of these additional questions. So given, you know, the experience that you've built towards in these different roles that you've had, um, walk us through what it was like to consider graduate school and what led you to pursue your MA in sport management? Ah, great question. I think it was kind of that situation. So again, my upbringing being raised by a 
um, essentially a single mom that, you know, she came to the States in her forties. So she had no idea what the American culture was like. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm Chinese, Taiwanese, and, um, you know, in her mind, uh, a young girl is not supposed to play sports and be super active and growing up being the younger sister of an older brother, you know, it's kind of hard not to play sports when my brother was all about sports and hip hop and rap and, you know, the, the boyish stuff. You had those um, right there in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I've always loved sports in, in, in a very not fanatic way, like not like watch it and, and just, you know, fangirl over athletes and stuff like that, but more so like the teamwork, the strategy, the perseverance, the resilience, the, the, you know, innate part of being an athlete, but also just being a part of the world of sport um, mm-hmm. has always intrigued me. So first off, again, go back, going back to education, being a foundation of opportunity, I realized that if I ever wanted to do anything in the world of sport as a female, non-black or white and non-college athlete person, I was probably not going to get very far without credibility. So getting a credential, getting a master's degree was a first step to having something, a badge of honor to at least say that, you know, give me a chance kind of thing. So that was part of the decision. And again, 2008 to 2012, you know, uh, economy wasn't great and getting a job wasn't, or getting a quote unquote real job um, Mm -hmm. wasn't exactly something that I knew much about or really knew how to pursue. And then knowing myself as someone, again, who loves to be a kinesthetic learner and less of a book learner. Um, I knew that if I didn't go to grad school shortly after undergrad, I probably wasn't going to go back to school just because I would fall in love with having four or five jobs. (laughs) So that was kind of it. And I think a lot of timing um, had to do with it too. You know, I had, I have a partner who enjoys sports as well. And it was um, nice to have someone that was supportive of me to pursue something that is not traditional. But I did convince my mom that a sport management degree is kind of like a, an MBA, except just sports related. And she she fell for the MBA part. So she was okay with it, you know, being a management degree. But, you know, my brother was very supportive. My partner was very supportive. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to do a job just to pay bills, I actually would like to build a foundation of opportunity. Sure, I can see why. And that at that time and where you were at and your priorities and where you want to go in the future, I can, I can see how that made sense. So you, you did mention that you weren't a student athlete. And then earlier in the conversation, you said that you spent, you know, about four hours a day uh, at the gym. Tell us a little bit more about what that looked like, uh, whether it was sort of unstructured time, who you were playing with. I'm very curious. Yeah, really great question. Well, there are a bunch of people who love sports, right? And 
when I when I say I wasn't a student athlete, I mean more of like not competing at the D1 NCAA level, but I was very much involved with intramural sports and things like that. And I guess I could be considered a student athlete in that regard, but not what the world thinks of when we talk about a student athlete. Um, and there was no specifically structured time, but once you kind of build friendships on the court, you know, you all just expect each other to show up here and there. And when someone shows up, you save a spot for them or you text each other and say, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And, you know, okay, yeah, I'm next. I got you on my team kind of thing. Um, and, and that was more like, that was fun. And then we would all kind of leave around dinner time and go up to the hill to have dinner before, you know, some of us went to study and some of us went to our next job or whatever, or our club and organization stuff. Um, who did we play with? You know, there were a lot of uh, like actual NCAA athletes who during their off season played, you know, basketball. Basketball is a very uh, uniting sport. So, you know, it, it, anyone who can dribble and, and such can enjoy the game. Um, and also some people just prefer to watch it, which there were people, lots of people who just came to the gym and had their you know, textbooks and just watched games as it was happening. I did have the opportunity to play with a bunch of um, more well-known athletes now. And um, you know, part of my experience interacting with them is kind of what has led me to my career as a life and wellness coach now to support athletes in building a life outside of sports. Um, seeing that many of them were uh, immersed with being a student athlete and that identity, but not able to build a confidence in themselves outside of that um, was pretty challenging because for me, I had lots of different, um, you know, things going on. I had jobs, I had clubs, I had, you know, leadership roles, and I knew I was going to be great not without being an athlete. And I don't think I felt that way from my peers who were, you know, wearing those athlete backpacks and having a schedule made for them and things like that with very little autonomy. So given, given those experiences and the role, the roles that you have had coaching, what, what prompted you to turn that into a passion and what did that look like? So I can, I can understand why you were motivated to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was it like setting up that small business? What do your clients look like today? And and how do you manage that with your full-time job fundraising for UCLA? Yeah, really great question. So what I do now as a life and mental performance coach doesn't exist as an industry. Like I, I don't know many people. I can probably count on one hand the number of people who market themselves the way that I market myself. Um, and part of that is, you know, strategy, but part of that is because I have a very unique niche that I want to work with, um, that I choose to work with. I went and got a master's degree in sport management, thinking I was going to become a sport agent. Little did I know after shadowing several agents and realizing that just meant more school because most agents have law, de- have law degrees and, and, you know, there's a lot of tests and things that you have to pass, which tests never really daunted me, but I just know that I'm not, you know, an excellent uh, standardized test taker. So that always irritated me. Um, somehow I got into UCLA, so that's fine. <laughs> but um, 
you know, I was like, well, I don't want to go to more school. I don't want to compete in a field where I'm already disadvantaged. Again, going back to my comment earlier, being a female, being not black or white and being, you know, um, not a NCAA athlete, I don't have that network or credibility, right? And I only have a certificate that says I went to two more years of school, really. Um, but I did have my network, which is very, very important in career building. Um, and that's kind of what I was like, well, what the hell else can I do? Like, if I'm not going to be an agent and I'm not, and I want to work with athletes, I'm obviously not going to be a coach. Didn't want to go to a PT school or orthopedic school or become a surgeon or whatever. So what else can I do? And um, through my network, having many, many conversations with mentors, sponsors, and just peers, you know, it became really um, obvious to me that I like to help people, but not tell them what to do, but more so helping them turn on their own light bulb, essentially. And I forget whom exactly. And I think there were a couple of people, you know, the, the term being a life coach wasn't necessarily like well-known, I would say 10 years ago, right? I think in general, people kind of were like, be a therapist or be a psychologist or even a shrink or something. But um, being a life coach was not something that was very common. Uh, I was able to do research on a few different um, life coaching certification programs and realize that what I wanted to do doesn't exist. So being who I am, I was like, well, then I'm going to make it happen. And that's kind of where things are. In terms of building a small business, my goodness, I had no idea what I was doing. Still don't really know what I'm doing, especially because I don't do it full time. But it's kind of the, one of those things that's always been a part of my life where I just like learn as I go. Mm -hmm. And um, having a healthy dose, dose of confidence uh, has really led me to accomplish some of the greatest things that I have so far. So then how do you balance that business with your work at UCLA? How do you, I mean, how do you even make time for that? Really, really great question. So I appreciate your comment about making time because I love when people ask me that. My answer is I have the same 24 hours as the person down the street, as President Obama, as you, and as anyone else. Um, it, it goes to kind of what I mentioned earlier, communication is extremely important and being organized helps too. And I, when I talk about communication, it's not just about being clear, but thinking ahead, thinking what would someone else need to know about what I'm thinking about to make sure that they're not caught in the situation where they're upset with what I'm about to do, right? Um, for example, when I meet with um, donors, I, I don't, I don't tell them that like, I'm planning to meet them at 11 and get there at 11. I tell them I'll meet them at 1130 and get there at 11, right? So that even if I were running 10 to 12, 15, 20 minutes late, I'm still on time, maybe even early 
to what the donor's expectation of me is, right? Um, I like to schedule meetings for either 20 minutes or 45 minutes, but block off 30 minutes or an hour because that helps me give myself that buffer and, and it reduces the expectation of whomever I'm working with from like, oh, she's always late or, oh, she's always rushing. No, you know, like I set the expectation. I communicate what the expectation is and then give myself these breaks. Being organized, I think is extremely important. Um, people listening won't be able to see, but Carolyn, you can see I have a post-it wall and the post-it wall really helps me with some of the smaller items that need to get done um, that I can do during that 10 minute or 15 minute break if mm. meetings were to end on time or even early. Um, and then also I can't really rely on my brain as much anymore. So having something written down has always helped. And to be very honest, I do have like a Google calendar, right? And Google calendar is extremely helpful. However, technology can't always be trusted. You know, sometimes you add something and it's on the wrong date, or sometimes you add something and it disappears. So I actually have a paper calendar on top of my electronic calendar and the paper calendar, I fill in the week before each week so that I have an expectation and understanding of what's coming up for the next couple of days, not too far in advance where I might forget about it, but also not every single day because I don't have that kind of time and energy to do it on a daily basis. So I fill out kind of like a week at a time, either on Sunday afternoons or maybe even Monday morning if I am running late and have a good understanding. And that's when I also take advantage of communicating and being proactive to let people know, hey, looks like I'm going to have a conflict on Thursday or hey, just a heads up, I'm only going to be able to meet for 20 minutes on Tuesday kind of thing. And then people appreciate that and you become someone that people want to work with. Um, and, and yeah, that, that I think is what's been really helpful in me being able to manage my multiple commitments. I mean, I, I love my job at UCLA and being an alumna uh, myself, it's helpful to kind of share with other Bruins why they should consider giving to UCLA because I can tell you all the stories and tell you about how the products of UCLA, like me, could benefit from your support. Um, and then, you know, this job does require some nights and weekends. So recognizing that if I do work nights and weekends, um, it's okay to start a little later in the day. It's okay to take a couple hours off and do some personal or coaching things because ultimately, you know, I, I'm doing the best that I can do um, and what is expected of me. Wow. You've created quite the balance in your life and <laughs> I can vouch for her. Her, her post-it wall is very, um, very bright and organized. And <laughs> I think that's a, a good tip for folks listening. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, uh, it's very interesting to hear how people make it work and, and create that balance. So thanks for make it for, work. Yeah. Given what, what you just said, do you have any additional advice for folks who are also interested in sports, which is a very competitive industry in general to work in, because there are plenty of people, as you mentioned, you know, they're, they're big fans. They, 
might not have a realistic view of, of the work that it takes, or they do, and they want to do whatever that is, marketing, law, um, administrative work, uh, you know, finance, but they want to do that in the space of, of sports and it's a really competitive place. So what advice do you have for folks who want to do that or, or who might be interested in education and fundraising? Yeah. in in any career that you are interested in pursuing, build a strong network. That's really all I have to say. And when I say that, I'm not saying go meet all 10,000 people at the networking event. It's okay to meet 10 people, but make sure you build a genuine relationship with these people, um, genuinely care about what their interests are so that you can also share some of the things that you might have, you might have in common, or maybe a different perspective that they may have never thought of. Be memorable um, and be someone who is authentic, fun, but also professional. It doesn't really matter what industry you want to pursue. I mean, in the sports world, you know, you, you can be an athlete or not, but having a network, um, being a person who has a strong work ethic is going to be noticed by someone. And if not, then that's probably not where you need to be. <laughs> so, you know, um, ha- have faith in humanity here and there and understand that if you do your part, someone will bring you along. And once you get brought along, make sure you bring others along too. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to sort of touch back on the very um, diverse and many hats you've worn with your connection to UCLA. Uh, You know, you've been a student, obviously you're an alum now, an employee, a volunteer. Um, Your connection to UCLA obviously has, has just been strong and you've maintained that. And it sounds like, you know, as you're some of your previous answers, it's, it's really influenced your trajectory. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to what that might look like in your future, additional goals you have for yourself in relation <laughs> to UCLA, or also um, encouragement for other people who want to get involved and maybe don't know where to start? Sure. Um, I am 120,000% confident that UCLA will be a part of my life Um, for the rest of my life and hopefully generations to come in my family. Um, Part of it is because I attribute the opportunities that I had through my years in undergrad at UCLA to what my personality is like now. Um, There are a lot of things that I missed out on, quote unquote, that I'm learning about now. And I'm like, what? I didn't know about that. Like, I didn't apply to a scholarship. I should have done Bruin Woods or, you know, other things. But that's the perk of UCLA, right? Because I did every single thing. I thought I was doing everything. And then, then you find out there's like a million more things. So, you know, for current students, I highly encourage um, students to try new things. Um, Don't be shy in the sense of there is something for everyone at UCLA. And, you know, it's not anyone's job to find it for you. And that's not what college is about. College is about growing up. And when you grow up, you don't wait for someone to fold your laundry or make your dinner and things like that, right? You have to start learning how to pick and choose. You go to the dining halls and you pick what you want to eat. 
you don't have to get served something that you don't want to eat. That's autonomy, but that's also independence. And so at a university as amazing like UCLA, there is an opportunity for everyone um, take advantage of that and go find it. For students who are going to be graduating soon, becoming young alumni, be reflective in your experience. Think about the opportunities that you have and think about kind of what kind of impact and mark you want to make on your alma mater and find a way to do that as an alum, right? You can get involved in volunteer organizations. You can get involved in alumni association with affinity groups. There are many, many ways you can get involved with your department, um, get be a mentor, lots of different things. Nobody is telling you you can only do one thing and this is the only thing you can do. There's something for everyone. And again, now you don't have an excuse to not be an adult. You are an adult now at, at you know, by, by books, I guess. And you've got to give back because the university as a public education and public system, you know, there's no money that could pay for the experiences that Bruins get um, that really are life-changing. And I can tell you a million and more stories of Bruins who have said decades from their experience as an undergrad, how their undergrad experience has changed their lives for the better. That's awesome. That's uh, very meaningful work. And it sounds like you're extremely happy to be in a position to do that for UCLA and to give back. Yeah. Well, to wrap us up here, how have you been defining success in your own life? You, you have a very, um, I think from, from what you've shared, you, you have been really inspired and have taken advantage of opportunities. So what does success look like? How have you been measuring it for yourself? That's a really great question. Um, you know, I think success is like, a an idea, like it's, it, there is no like marker that's like, oh, you're successful. Um, and, and I think that that comes from learning more about coach Wooden's philosophies, I would say. Uh, and for me, if I am confident that I have given my best in anything and everything that I do, I find that to be a success. Um, and I also am very cognizant that um, success means different things to different people. So I try my very, very, very best, especially with my parents, to not judge myself based on someone else's idea of what success looks like. Um, I remain humble as much as I can, but I also give myself the opportunity to receive praise when I do do something that's out of the ordinary. Um, for example, when I was selected or appointed to be the staff advisor by the by UC's president and then president, President Napolitano. Um, I was in a state of shock because I didn't really think that that was going to happen for me. But once I understood, you know, the opportunity that was given to me, I made sure that I was going to do that job. And I'm still in that role now um, to the best of my ability and let people know 
that they can do it too. And I think that's kind of what is going to, for the rest of my life, define what success is, is how do I take my lessons learned and my accomplishments to open up doors for other people? Very well said. Well, changing gears with the last few minutes we have together, we would love to ask you some fun, quick, rapid fire questions. And I'll start that off with a favorite place on campus. Oh, a favorite place to hang out, probably Wooden Center Collins Court. Favorite place to eat does not exist anymore. It used to be rendezvous up on the hill. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, change is happening all the time, but oh my goodness. I'm sure a shared memory with many of the people that are now listening. Yeah. What about a favorite book? article show that you've been enjoying recently oh my goodness favorite is hard I have a few shows that I have been watching um during the pandemic I binge watched all 17 seasons of Grey's Anatomy so I (laughs) I feel like I'm a semi-surgeon now (laughs) um I and then with you know Grey's Anatomy the runoff show station 19 now I want to become a first responder. (laughs) It's just crazy to me. I'm like talking to myself and saying, when I retire one day, I'm going to be a first responder um, dispatcher. I'm probably not a first but a dispatcher. And, you know, again, my role in helping people kind of turn on the lights that they may not know exist. Um, In terms of reading, I, I have not read books as much as I did before. But I will share that our family's expecting a little one soon. So I've been reading a lot of articles about parenthood and taking care of yourself as a first time mom and things like that, um, which have been very enlightening because I've always been a mother figure, but I never really planned to be a mom myself. So I am being taught a lot of things um, about my body and about my mindset and about the type of mom that I want to be and don't want to be. So it's been well, fun. congratulations. Another Bruin for, for the community and your family. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, if you could share with us a favorite UCLA memory. Oh my goodness. There are just a million and then some, um, <laughs> you know, there's definitely the sporting events um, that, I I was one of those people who camped outside, even though we weren't a great team. Um, Graduating was phenomenal. Uh, Getting to meet uh, Coach Wooden and many of the other prominent figures have been extremely, extremely um, influential in my life. Favorite UCLA memory. I, I think it's just stepping onto campus and and realizing this is going to be home for the next few years and just feeling so blessed to be able to experience that, that, that feeling will never go away. Well, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for sharing about your career trajectory, your time at UCLA, the different hats that you've worn. And again, congratulations um, on your upcoming little baby. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. And go Bruins. Go Bruins. Thank you for joining us for our interview with Lucy Tseng. 
We hope you enjoyed the conversation. As part of the podcast, we share a career tip at the end of each episode. This episode's tip is about goal setting from 2011 alum, Dennis Coy Denman. He says, create a two to three year professional development plan. Creating a plan may sound overwhelming, but it's just setting a couple of goals or professional experiences you would like to have during your time in the job. So if you would like to be on a committee or have coffee with the CEO, work towards accomplishing those goals. In every new job Dennis has taken, he's always written out a little plan, which he says he usually forgets about, and then stumbles upon years later realizing, oh yeah, I did that. Thanks, Dennis. If you have a career tip of your own and would like to be featured on the podcast, you can email a voice memo or written tip to ace at support.ucla.edu. We look forward to highlighting your strategies for success with the Bruin community. Join us for more episodes in the coming weeks and follow us on the UCLA Alumni Career Engagement and UCLA Alumni Association Facebook and Instagram accounts. We'll put those in the show notes. Thanks for listening and go Bruins.